Smarties, we are so excited to introduce and welcome Adrienne Meldrum, the CEO and founder of Made for Math, to the podcast today. She is here to teach us all the things about multisensory math. You're going to hear her talk about her background and how she came to her understanding of multisensory math. She explains the five components and how learners with academic challenges specifically can benefit from multisensory math intervention. And she also shares with us some of her favorite tools and strategies. We're so lucky to have her not only for this week's episode, but for next week's episode as well, where we're going to talk about accommodations for math. We would be honored if you would leave us a review wherever you listen, Smarties. Those five-star reviews mean a lot to us, and we thank you for taking the time to be a part of our community, and we'd love to hear what works for you about this podcast. Let's dig in. You want to learn faster, but sometimes working harder is just not the answer. You have to learn smarter. The Educational Therapy Podcast. Hi, Smarties. Welcome to episode 272 of Learn Smarter, the Educational Therapy Podcast. I'm Stephanie Pitts. And I'm Rachel Cap. And today we're really excited for something new and interesting. We have Adrienne Meldrum with us. She is the CEO of Made for Math. Hi, Adrienne. Hey, Smarties. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. Why don't you take a second and introduce yourself to our audience because we're going to be hanging out this week and for next week's episode. Sure, absolutely. So I'm the founder and the CEO of Made for Math which is an all online math center focused on serving students with dyslexia, dyscalculia, and math learning disabilities. And you might be hearing that and going, how is it multi-sensory? It's online. It's possible. It's awesome. We mail a giant box out. I'm a certified math instructor through Marilyn Zecker, and I have a master's degree from Bridges Graduate School of Cognitive Diversity, which means I know a lot about 2E. And what else? I am married and I live in Arizona with my husband and three boys, which is kind of new since the pandemic. And I love cool site living. I can do it all the time. I will never go back to the snow. You're done with the snow. You'll just swelter in the heat. Yep. And I think there's probably a lot of people that might feel similarly after the crazy winter that's happened this year. For sure. Listen, I would never open the door to snow. Yeah. It's not an option. There's no door opening at all. That's the California in you talking. 100%. Because I think LA got more rain than Seattle this year. Yeah. You guys had so much rain. Yes. It was awful. So much rain. Our grass is very green though. Super blooms are happening right now, which are pretty, yeah. but we don't live here for the rain. Yeah. My allergies don't like that that much. Don't love it. Yes. Okay, so tell us a little bit about how you got started with using a multi-sensory approach to teaching math. What's the origin story? Well, the origin story is I've been tutoring for a long time, since like 2006, but my foray into education actually was in an autism preschool setting, and I fell in love with one-to-one instruction, small group, you know, doing interventions that change students' lives. And I naively thought that that's the kind of work I'd get to do in the classroom. As well, when I made that transition, I couldn't have been more wrong. So I left. That's just not my jam to, yeah, not be able to teach kids the way they actually learn. So that was really frustrating. So I left. I started doing tutoring. 
But there was always just like a couple of kids that I could not reach with what I knew how to do. And that never sits well with me. And so I, I started exploring and learning more. And that's when I learned about dyslexia. You know how it is. Once you see dyslexia and you understand it, you can't unsee it. It's so prevalent. Mm-hmm. So I started thinking about that. And I thought, you know, there's got to be something with math that is similar. And I'm friends with Cara Scanlon. I don't know if you guys have had her on the podcast, but I know you know her. We haven't, but we're fans. We love her. Yeah. Yes. Ed therapist. So I reached out to Cara and I said, you know, hey, is there something like this on the math side? And she said, yes. But unfortunately, there's only maybe three people actually teaching others how to do this. And one of them was Marilyn Zecker, who I decided... I'm going to enroll in her classes, see how they go. I fell in love because she has like the OG reading background. She's a certified academic language therapist. So she brought that over to the math world and uses the research. And I just, I knew this was it and started using it with my students, saw tremendous results. And that just kind of lit a fire to create something on a grander scale. So we were trying to figure out how to make things multi-sensory long before the pandemic forced it upon people to work online because it just it isn't right the kids don't have access to services when they need them. So I want families to be able to have help no matter where they live. So that's kind of how I got started in that. And I was terrified to hire, but I figured that out too. And we have so much fun as a team. Everyone is just wonderful to work with. Parents adore our teachers. They're very knowledgeable and um, some of the best math experts I know. And so I feel very blessed to be doing this work in multi-sensory math. I love it. Okay. So let's talk a little bit for those of us who aren't familiar with it. What is multi-sensory math? What does it encompass? So multi-sensory math basically has five components. So the first one is that it obviously involves senses. It has the word sensory in it. So that looks like hands-on math manipulatives. We're doing lots of gross motor we're involving the visual and the auditory, and all of this is happening simultaneously alongside each other. It's not like back in the 90s where, remember how learning modalities were like all the thing, a learning style preference. We know that that's been debunked, Like the brain doesn't actually learn this way. But by making it multisensory, you know, we're increasing that opportunity for students to be picking up that information. Like some days it's the hands-on plus the teacher said it a certain way and that clicked. Or sometimes it's that it was the gross motor alongside the abstract and they got it, it clicked. So it isn't necessarily specific to one sense, it's using all of them. So that's the first component there. The second one's that systematic. It has to follow an order from the most basic to the logical. So in our lessons, you'll see us working from what is known. Every lesson starts with a warm-up. We're practicing things the student already knows. And then we start moving towards this new material and preparing them to receive the new material. So we'll be doing things like a word study, practicing the skills coming up in the new lesson. And our new material is actually short in nature, takes 10 minutes to teach them the topic. Anything longer than that for a student with a learning disability, it's going to be difficult for them. And the third hallmark of that is it's direct. Right now in mathematics, there's a big trend towards letting students explore and uncover math algorithms and whatnot. We actually don't do that. We don't let students explore to find the relationships. We teach it directly. 
and we coach that student through the connections through that student teacher interaction. I love that. That was always the hardest for me when they're like, go figure it out. I'm like, I really would prefer someone just explain it. You just tell me. Yeah. Yeah. Just show me. That would be great. Don't be trying to build out other skills of mine right now. Just show me. Exactly. And then the multisensory method is diagnostic, just like you guys are doing in your ed therapy. We're using a lot of assessment to drive what we're doing with each student. So we want to make sure that we're creating an environment where the anxiety is low so the student can show us what they know. Because sometimes they know quite a bit, but they can't show it because they have so much anxiety around testing. So our assessment at Made for Math feels more game-like. It's really non-threatening. And we don't drag it out for hours of like, show me all the things you can't do, right? It's more like, (laughs) let's find an appropriate starting point. And for many of our students, it's starting all the way back in place value. That's not uncommon for that to happen. Yeah. And then we assess and start moving forward, right? So assessment's an ongoing piece. And then the last thing is synthetic and analytic. So synthetic means that we're showing how the parts work with the whole Analytic means we're showing how the whole can be broken into parts. So that's really important for our students to understand those things, especially kids with dyslexia. They're excellent at seeing the big picture and showing them how the pieces and parts work inside of that is key to the multisensory method. So those are the five components that I think of when I think about what is multisensory math. That's very cool. I love the way you broke it down too. The truth is, is that math does have a procedure. Yeah. And so teaching it should have a procedure in it. It really should. Yeah. So then what about learners who have academic interferences, academic challenges, learning challenges, behavioral challenges, physical challenges? How do they benefit from a multisensory approach? So again, it goes back to using those multi-sensory approaches simultaneously. So we're increasing opportunities for that to make sense in their brain. But if they've got other things going on, let's say they have dysgraphia on top of that, we're going to adjust our lesson to make it easier for them to participate. Having a student be in an environment that's digital, you know, all of us are probably going to tell the student use a mouse, let's use a whiteboard. But in this case, a student dysgraphia, it would be better to have an actual physical whiteboard with a marker, right? So all of our students receive those things too, and they can write on their whiteboard and show their teacher. And so those kinds of adjustments are really important. And when students come to us at Made for Math, we want to know about all the things. Some of these students are ABC kids. They've got all the diagnoses, right? They, Mm -hmm. They have a really complex learning profile. So students are going to benefit from that because we, just like in ed therapy, we understand those other issues that come into play. If they've got slower processing speed, sometimes they have fast processing speed. And so we we really make sure we're adjusting so that the brain has every opportunity to make sense of the information that's coming at them. So can you give us an example of a multisensory approach to something basic like multiplication? Like how do you guys teach that is a very common anxiety provoking time for parents when it's time to learn their multiplication tables. And that's what parents call in and they're like, they don't know their math facts. And that seems to be a big focus. Yeah. A big pain point. So how do you teach that in a multisensory way in your method that you're doing? 
Sure. So the first thing we would want to do is actually rule out, are there any holes in prior math knowledge? So um, Marilyn Zecker calls it unfinished learning. So is there any unfinished learning in basic number sense? Sometimes that is part of the problem, why they're struggling so much. So we'll go back, fill those things in. Obviously, we'll teach them what repeated addition is and prepare them for this idea of multiplication. One of the big things that we do actually is called focus facts. Focus facts, we don't teach students all of the math facts all at once in rapid succession. We actually narrow it down significantly. So let's say the student's learning their sevens times table. I pick seven because everyone struggles with seven. So Yes, they do. And so what we do is we narrow it down and we're only going to work on up to seven times three in the beginning. And every lesson, they can be working on other skills. They can be working on long division. They could be working on fractions because we get kids who are coming in at sixth grade, but they don't have their math facts, right? So we narrow it down. And then when they're working through their lesson, they're practicing up to seven times three over and over and all those multiples which leads to better memory because it has a utility. The students are seeing it has a purpose, lightens the working memory so that they can focus on procedures of other kinds of stuff. When we practice math facts in isolation, it's quick for the brain to just throw it out. It's just like a bunch of garbly gook. But if we can teach it alongside with other topics, the path to memorization is going to be a lot stronger. And the way we make it multi-sensory is there's a couple different ways we do this. We do it with cubes where they can build the patterns, right? If we're starting with twos, we show them like multiplying by two, how quickly, you know, the, the number gets bigger. But then we also have what's called strings with wings. That's a Marilyn Zecker phraseology, but other researchers and interventionists have used this idea. But you basically make them, going back to the sevens times table, a string with groups of seven and the colors need to be contrasting greatly. It can't be like my initial idea is like, oh, let's make it like a beautiful rainbow, blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. Like they need it to be starkly different from each other. You might see this in like a wreck and wreck tool, you know, the, the beads with 10. So you could do red, white, red, white, so that it's clear to see the pattern of seven. And so here we're sliding, we're working with just within three, so they're not worried about the others that are on the string, but they're sliding around these groups of seven and we practice recall over and over as part of the warm-up to get them ready, but then they're using it throughout their lesson. And then as they're showing mastery over time, we'll add in one more math fact, then we'll add in another math fact. And so we start building out those math fact retrieval skills over time, if that makes sense. So... That's one way that we do it. And then there's representational with the pictures, again, showing them how we're making groups and it's repeated addition and those kinds of things. Sometimes we have to explicitly practice the difference between the symbols, depending on if they struggle with discerning is this adding or multiplying because some kids in their mind are twisting that symbol. So there's all these little things that you don't necessarily think about but we try to find as many sensory ways as we can to help them slow down and process what's happening in front of them and make it multisensory. Can you guys see why this resonates with educational therapists? Because we love the breaking down. We love the fact that you're learning your first three sevens in conjunction with another skill. So it's not all this like 
torturous, like just repetition flashcards of math facts, which is how parents or it's how I was taught. Right? Like, and so that's sort of the expectation. And when their kids aren't doing it, what they tell them to do is here, practice these flashcards, right? But they give them a whole deck as opposed to simplifying it, and it doesn't have any practical application. It's this abstract idea. Exactly. So within this sort of approach, what are some of your favorite tools and strategies that you've learned throughout your training that like you heard and you're like, oh, that's so smart. So many. Okay. I'll try to keep it short. Tubitizing is one of my favorite things. And when I learned it, I was like, oh, snap. Like, that's (laughs) fantastic. So subitizing, if you haven't heard this phrase before, means to see suddenly. And it has primal roots in our brain. And that's actually why my business is named Made for Math, because every human walking the earth is wired with this ability to see quantities suddenly, to be able to quickly assess that quantity is more than the other. This one's less than the other. It was a survival thing. If you think about being out on the plains and you're hunting and you need to, you know, find some dinner, you got to be able to use these skills. So subitizing is a really cool skill. There's some debate about how it's best used, but at Made for Math, we use it to help students lighten that working memory again. So you'll see us using the dice patterns up to six. You'll see it in tally marks. And so we'll arrange our math manipulatives, um, even the blocks, or we use a lot of craft sticks for place value, seeing those patterns show up. So a tally mark of five, right? You've got four sticks and one laying across the top. And it really helps students quickly see and identify that quantity. And this skill is also applicable even into algebraic thinking. So I started applying it with algebra tiles, and if they were solving an equation, just having the tiles put out was not enough. If we organized it into dice patterns, students could quickly see, oh, there's a zero pair. Oh, I could move this across you know, the, the equation line, and it, it's a whole lot easier to work with these when you're subitizing things. So from a practical standpoint, subitizing is really cool. And it's done kind of in a conceptual way. If you want to learn more about it, there's a researcher named Douglas Clements that wrote an article all about supertizing, but really the father of learning more about this was Dehane and Butterworth really turned it into some more application type stuff. So supertizing is really cool. One of my favorites because it applies everywhere. Just really quick tangent story for you. I use it to this day myself. I was putting together kits one day. And I needed to count out chips of 10 to mailed students. And my kids were running in and out of the room. They kept interrupting my counting. And I was getting really agitated. (laughs) And uh, I threw my hands up. I was just getting ready to yell at my kids to leave me alone. And as my hands went down, I went, subitizing. That's what I need to use. So what I started doing was grabbing two chips and organizing them into a pattern of five. And now I could talk to them. They could interrupt me. I could quickly scoop my groups of five that were too tall, right, into a bag and seal it shut. It's helpful. It's a really cool skill. And I love it so much. And apparently it saves you from yelling at your kids, too. <laughs> I was going to say, if you ever worked a cash register, this is something that you probably 
do or have been taught to do? Probably do. I never worked a cash register and I always wanted to. Whenever we went to Staples, I was always trying to play with the cash register. My brother used to have them. I was just thinking about how I went to the grocery store the other day and you know how they have the self-checkout, but now they have the ones that some of them have the conveyor belt yeah. on the self-checkout. So I was doing it and I was like, it's so fun. Childhood Stephanie yeah. <laughs> is so happy right now because I loved that. <laughs> anyway. I have to send you this video. My best friend sent it to me yesterday of her son doing the checkout. He was checking out at Trader Joe's. Uh-huh. The guy was letting him scan. He's four and a half. And the guy was letting him scan. I'm like, oh, this is like a dream come true for a kid. Dreams come true. Anyway, but yes, that's what I did with the cash register is exactly that because you don't have to, you won't lose count. You won't lose count. It's more accurate, right? Yeah. And that's the problem is that when we leave kids with only counting skills, we're really crippling them long term. So supertizing is a hero from that standpoint. Another thing about multisensory math uh, as far as strategy is language. So There's the language of the student and how they talk about math. Then there's the language of the teacher. And then there's the language of mathematics. And the teacher is like the interpreter between student and mathematics. And so it's really important that when you're talking to students, you're using appropriate language for them. But also don't be afraid to teach them the words of mathematics. For example, in one of our programs that we use, it's called COMPS. She has you teach students what a referent unit is. And this is something that's done in other countries, but we don't do that here in the United States. So, but that's a common use of mathematics language. So it's really important. We're afraid of it. We're afraid of it. So one way that we do that is we slow down the speed at which we speak. We let there be long pauses. We give process time. But then we also do word studies, similar to what you would see in like an OG reading lesson. We're studying the language of mathematics, you know, the roots, the prefixes, the suffixes. Where is it coming from? And so if you want to see an example of that, head over to our YouTube channel. We have a vocabulary playlist. I think there's maybe five to seven videos over there, but you can see words like fraction, which means to break, percent, that's per 100, cent means 100. And when we teach vocabulary, we try to tie it to other concepts, other words they may have heard to help them make sense. So with fraction, we talk about fracture. When you break your arm, that's what the doctor says. He fractured his arm, right? And so... You can see some of those things play out over there. So language is hugely important. And then my other tool that I love is near point references, which you guys are using in ed therapy all the time. Right now, I have a near point reference in front of me as of this recording. It's helpful for everybody, whether you have a learning difference or not. Because when we're in an anxiety-provoked state, being on a podcast is, can be kind of scary if you're not doing it every week, like Stephanie and Rachel. I don't do it every week. So I knew I needed some sort of near point reference to help me remember what things I wanted to talk about and how maybe I wanted to phrase them. Doesn't mean I'm reading a script to you. I'm just referencing it. So we can do that same thing with students, giving them graphic organizers. They can have a vocabulary book that they've made themselves with diagrams and the roots and the prefixes and suffixes. Those kinds of near point references are really powerful tools. And I wish more math teachers would allow them in the classroom, because let's be honest, in the future, 
no one is going to have to remember the Pythagorean theorem like right off the top of their head. They can Google it. That's a near point reference, right? It's more important that the student understands how to use this algorithm, how to make it applicable and solve problems. So I'm a big fan of those. And then earlier, we already talked about this, but just revisiting the focus facts. Focus facts are huge. And it just really decreases that working memory and increases memory, math facts to memory over time. I love it. Love. So there's so many kids that struggle with math. And so many parents who struggled with math, right? It's rough. And we hear you on that. So what advice would you give to a parent who's seeking to find some help for their child in math? Keep your expectations realistic. Because there's a couple of things that affect the intervention process itself. So it could be the severity. So uh, dyscalculia, math learning disabilities, it can be mild to quite severe, quite debilitating. Like you can see some people, it's so severe that they honestly can't drive a car because they have no spatial reasoning. Mm-hmm. Okay, That's severe and would take a long time to teach. And then a somewhat mild could be that they only have math anxiety on the most mild side, but then it showed up in testing, but it really turned out to be just anxiety. So there's a really wide range. So that matters. And then also, what's the age at which your kid got identified? Sometimes we see kids coming in at like 17, 18 who didn't get identified until then. Very different situation. So keep that in mind. And then another thing that we see parents doing is hopping intervention to intervention. So sometimes they only give an ed therapist or Kumon or Mathnasium like a month to get things figured out. And that's not going to work. Also, you're wasting your time with Mathnasium, Kumon, Sylvan, because it's more of the same of what they're doing at school. They don't have the same training that someone like Stephanie or Rachel or myself would have. So just FYI about that. Maybe I'll save you some headache. Skip them. Come find a specialist. Yeah. And some cash. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So have, being consistent in the kind of instruction you're receiving matters. And actually the frequency matters. So at Made for Math, we don't allow anyone to do once a week because it's a disservice. The kiddo is not coming frequently enough to remember what they were taught And so we require a minimum of two times a week for an hour. If you're young, like nine, you can do three half hours per week, but that's the minimum. You have to do the minimum because of the consistency instruction. We need to keep recalling this stuff in the same way to increase the likelihood that it's going to stick. Keep in mind, too, that math anxiety can prevent intervention from moving quickly. We kind of talked about that, visited that, too. And also... Sometimes your kid's not motivated and there is not much that I can do, Stephanie can do, Rachel can do. It's your kiddo. It's their mindset. And sometimes we need to just give it time. And sometimes that's the right answer. We have cut kids loose before who had tremendous attitude problems and there was other things going on. It's important to keep that in mind about the motivation. Bring your kiddo, let them try. At Made for Math, we try to give parents a heads up if motivation is a problem and we'll work with you. But also there will be a point where we say, take a break, you know, let this kiddo be a kid for a little bit, come back later. A hundred percent. 
could not endorse that more. Yeah. And that's really what you want as a parent. Let me just say, you really want sometimes the expert to come in and say, let this breathe. We need to wait for the X because sometimes the anxiety for the parents is so high around whatever the challenge is that it's very difficult for them to make that call themselves. So they need that sort of like, that's why you hire an expert. That's exactly why you hire Yes. And I'm often telling parents too, sometimes when they go and they get these evaluations, they get a diagnosis of dyscalculia, dyslexia, ADHD, like they've got a long list and the parent goes into hyper fix it mode. And so they call all the experts, right? So my other piece of advice for you is to remediate in the appropriate order. So if they're a student who has dyslexia, go remediate that first, go get the reading taken care of. You are not hurting them by letting them wait on the math side. It's okay. And I think parents need to hear that. You really aren't hurting your kiddos in this case. Giving due process to each method is what they really need at an appropriate pace. And we can't rush the development of a brain, especially if they have ADHD. They're two, three years behind their peers. And it's not uncommon for us to need to let them develop more so that they can be more successful in mathematics. So I think coming in to us at Made for Math fifth, sixth grade is actually a really great time. We do have kids that come in younger and that's great, but you're not too late. You're still not too late even if they're in high school. It's still a great time to come in. And because they're older, the progress can occur because their brain is a little more developed. Our audience can't see this, but Steph and I have just both been sitting here nodding. (laughs) Nodding the entire time. Yeah. And it's so funny because we recorded an episode yesterday. I'm not sure the order of airing, but with our friend, uh, Dr. Jeremy Sharp, who... Oh, yeah, Jeremy. Yes. Yeah, he hosts the Testing Psychologist. We were talking about... (laughs) <laughs> the exact same conversation of like, we need to prioritize and it's okay not to do all the things simultaneously, even if all the accommodations and recommendations look like they should be, it's not realistic and sustainable for families. So yep. it's reassuring to hear that it's not too late. We get that question in ed therapy too. Is it too late? And the truth is it's never too late. We're always able never too to late. learn and grow and give our brains the time and space to do that. It's okay. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Thank you for breaking that down and making it very clear. And I think our audience will really love connecting with you. So how can they do that? Yeah. So the easiest way is just head over to our website, madeformath.com. We're connected. You know, all the things are over there, all the socials that we're on. (laughs) I mentioned YouTube. Quickest way to find them is down in the footer as far as like the icons for those various places. But I think one thing I would encourage you to do when you hear about multisensory math, I know there's some ambiguity about whether that's for my kid or not. I'm not really sure. And so we have a quiz on our website that you can take. It's plastered everywhere. And you will know within two minutes if that's a good idea for your child or not. And you don't have to choose to work with us, but it's just to help you grasp what would work. Because sometimes the answer really is going and doing something like Mathnasium. If your kid's getting like a B, B plus, and they want to move to an A, that's actually a great option. But if they're doing a lot worse than that, or grade levels behind, multisensory math is going to get you the biggest bang for your buck. Thank you so much for being here. And we're very excited because next week's episode, episode 273, will also be with you. And we're going to talk more in depth about this and about math accommodations as well, which we know is going to be a good episode. It's a good one. 
Have a great week, Smarties. Have a great week. Have a great week.